Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another State of the Nation episode, the episode where we go over a topic that's kind of been in the headlines. Uh, this is an exciting evening episode for us, David. Usually we, we record these during the daytime, and we're going to be talking about Curve, the Curve Wars, more specifically. Curve Wars. Curve. Like, there's a lot of subjects to unpack here. This has been something that's you know, probably emerged over the last six months. And I think it's important that we cover it because we want to understand it more fully. I feel like there hasn't been a podcast uh, that has synthesized everything that's going on. And I think this mechanism will repeat in all sorts of different DeFi protocols. So we're not only going to see these wars play out on Curve, we're going to see them all over DeFi as well. So it's about time we take the time to understand them. Who do we got on today? We have a community favorite. Um, I actually did not ask if he goes by his name or not, but he goes under the newsletter of Curve Market Cap, which I believe is a playoff of Coin Market Cap. Uh, and apparently, Curve is deep enough to justify an entire newsletter. And so, uh, Curve Market Cap has gone with uh, just uh, producing enough content out of uh, out of about Curve, uh, just unpacking what's going on in the world of Curve Wars. Uh, and no other DeFi protocol has had this whole war thing going on and so we kind of want to figure out why does why does curve go so deep what is going on what is the game that is being played because apparently there's a lot of things to unpack and things to discuss and so uh curve market cap is going to uh unpack that for us yeah what's everyone fighting over why yeah, what war? are we fighting huh? over <laughs> what's the war over some... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be talking about all that and of course guys you know prices are down a little bit on the year so got to tell you about crypto IRA, getting a crypto IRA, that is, from our friends Alto. They wanted us to let you know now is a fantastic time to open your IRA account, okay? Not only they want to let you know, I want to let you know. I love these things, David. <laughs> I, I think crypto IRAs are the best way for retail to avoid paying taxes on crypto gains. This is the truth. And that could be a lot, okay? And... Um, I did this a few years ago when the market was down. Probably the best, most like the most tax optimized or thing I've ever done was to open an IRA and also convert some of my old 401ks to the IRA structure and buy crypto. This used to be hard to do, but now there are companies like Alto IRA that are providing the easy button for this. So they're just like integrated with Coinbase. That means you can purchase 125 assets, a few clicks, you're up and going. You got all your your paperwork filed and you've got your own crypto IRA. So go check them out. It's time to open a crypto IRA. Best time to do it is when you buy low in a bearish market, in a dip, whatever this thing is right now. And you can do that at altoira.com slash bankless. Check that out. Hey, David, I got to ask you the question though, before we get in, what is the state of the nation today, sir? The state of the nation, Ryan, is cornering because apparently that is what's going on in the Curve Wars. <laughs> apparently the Curve Wars is all about the game of cornering the market. Uh, hmm. And it might have already been cornered by Convex Finance. Someone well, won the war? The thing is, I, and I think this is what we need, we need to check on, but I think the game just repeats because once somebody hmm. corners the market, then it's about cornering that market. And that's actually what I found out is actually quite interesting about this whole cor Curve Wars thing. Um, so, they, Ryan, on this uh, State of the Nation, we are cornering. 
All right, we're going to find out how the curve market here, the curve markets get cornered. And we've got the expert to do it to do that coming up. We're going to introduce him right after we say hello to the fantastic sponsors that made this episode possible. Polygon is Ethereum's largest and most vibrant scaling solution to date. With millions of monthly users and all of the biggest DeFi apps, the Polygon ecosystem has turned into a blossoming metropolis of DeFi activity. Transactions on Polygon are quick and cheap, allowing users the freedom to achieve their DeFi goals, all while being economically anchored to Ethereum. But Polygon isn't just the proof-of-stake sidechain. The Polygon team is building a suite of scaling solutions, including Polygon Hermes, Maiden, Nightfall, and Zero, all with different design choices in order to be optimized for all possible crypto use cases. If you're a developer who wants to build on the Polygon ecosystem, go to the link in the show notes to check out their fantastic documentation. And if you're a user who just wants to experience fast and cheap DeFi, you can bridge over your ETH or other tokens and start playing around with any of the thousands of applications that are available on Polygon. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi without giving up custody over your private keys. MetaMask is both a secure in-browser wallet and also a secure bridge for your hardware wallet. You can now trade tokens on any DEX or aggregator. MetaMask Swap gathers real-time pricing information across all the DeFi exchanges, allowing you to select your best price while getting all the MetaMask benefits of self-custody, lower gas costs, and increased transaction success rates. MetaMask also has a fantastic mobile wallet that I use when I'm out and about which I use to collect POAPs, NFTs, and do all my DeFi things while I'm away from home. If you haven't downloaded MetaMask, you gotta try it out. Web3 wouldn't be the same without it. Download MetaMask for desktop and mobile at metamask.io and load up your Trezor, Ledger, Lattice, or Keystone hardware wallets so that they too can get into the world of Web3. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Hey guys, we are back talking about the Curve Wars. We're here with Garrett Hall. He runs a newsletter called Curve Market Cap, fantastic newsletter that uh, covers the Curve ecosystem. And when we tweeted out, who is a person who can come on Bankless and explain the curve wars? The resounding answer was Curve Market Cap, Garrett Hall, the person that we have as a guest today. Uh, Garrett, it's great to have you on Bankless. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. It's going good. I have to ask, is it still Bankless or after the market crash, are you down to a homeless? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. I you know, aspire we, to be homeless one day, Gary. We tweeted out that meme bef before someone could use it against us, right? That's, that's the thing you have to do is, uh, you know, run, scratching up bankless. Front, yeah. run, front run the attacks. Uh, you know how Twitter can be. Speaking of Twitter, you were recommended to us on twi Twitter from uh, Crypto Condom, I believe, who apparently is a brilliant voice uh, on Curve and on DeFi. And I am just blown away by how interesting this community is. Uh, and I wonder if you could start, Garrett, by telling us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you get into Curve? 
and kind of your background to give us uh, some context because crypto condom didn't fill us in they just said you need to speak to garrett <laughs> oh these late night streams are weird <laughs> <laughs> we're already entering the after dark territory right so we can be explicit um no i got my start in crypto actually back in 2014 and um uh, for various reasons was out of the space until about 2019 when I popped back in. And at the time I'd had like some Bitcoin lying around and I was just looking for places to earn yield on it. And at the time I was actually looking at Binance of all places. Uh, I'm an American citizen, so I can't use Binance, but I was saying, what on earth is going on? How come like they're actually able to get these incredible yields on things? So I asked a colleague of mine and I was saying, hey, what, what do you know about this? And he was like, stop. Don't look at Binance, look at Curve. And this was at the time that Curve was having its curve swerve drama. Uh, I don't know if you were around to remember that. It's like very old school. Swerve was a freak of curve is what I remember, what I recall. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I started to poke around and take a look at it. And the more that I read, the more that I learned about Curve, just the more mind, like uh, more, more, the more my mind was blown. So I just decided to just dive all in that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, what about it blew your mind? I'm curious, Garrett, like what was yeah. cool about it? So there's a number of things. Um, if you look at where it is today, it's phenomenal. It's got nearly $20 billion in value locked, according to DeFi Llama, by far the largest source of liquidity in all of DeFi. Uh, this is now across eight chains. Uh, the mathematics behind the curve pools are bespoke. So when you read through the curve white papers, they get into incredible detail and very higher, higher level math. And I'm a huge math geek. So that really definitely appealed to me. Um, in a nutshell, it allows for incredibly high volume transactions with extremely low slippage, which makes a huge difference for whales. And you two are probably whales, but for peasants like me, the Curve tokenomics is also incredibly generous at splashing these fees to Curve holders. That's super cool. And just um, maybe for people who aren't as familiar with, with Curve at a high level, could you even go back and, and sort of explain that? So this is a decentralized exchange, I believe, uh, of the automated market maker variety. So sort of like a Uniswap where you are you know, trading with a, with a protocol and a pool on the other side, but uh, it specializes in similar uh, tokens, right? So like, you know, stable coins would be one, uh, you know, where the tokens are like kind of a similar value and Curve tries to sort of equalize them. You could probably explain this better. What is Curve in a, in a nutshell at the highest level? I think that's a good explanation what you provided. So it definitely got its start as a stablecoin AMM. And that was also something that I found really interesting about the protocol is that they had kind of looked at the existing um, capabilities of trading between like type, uh, like price tokens, and they figured out more efficient ways to adjust the formula. Uh, so Uniswap, which you mentioned, is the constant product, X times Y equals a constant. And that works um, fairly well, but then it kind of runs into some issues in that it can produce more slippage. Um, the Michael Egorov white paper on this essentially figured out a way to combine a linear constant invariant with a the product constant invariant that allowed it to have uh, the low slippage that you would like to see at that would you would see from a linear invariant and the capability of kind of shooting rapidly towards uh, imbalance. And as a result, the pools can stay 
maybe 70% imbalanced and not see too much in the way of issues, which was very useful for the curve V1, which focused extraordinarily on stable coins. For the uh, visual learners out there, X times Y equals K is the classic Uniswap curve. And that is just a, a normal parabola that is very uniform. And curves innovation, and what Garrett just explained using math, I'm going to try and explain using visuals, where the center of the curve, the center of the parabola is flattened. And what that means is that when you have uh, two of these, two of these things, as in two trading pairs, because the when, where the curves meet is flatter, these pools can be more and more imbalanced from each other, as in we could have like 70,000 USDC on one side and only 30,000 USDT on the other side. And these things are still trading at basically $1. And so while the pools are out of whack in how much supply there is, the trading prices on these things still trade really, really close to one-to-one. -one. And that's a feature that, Unis uh, that Uniswap does not have. Uniswap V2 does not have because a 70,000 supply of USDT on one side versus 30,000 on the, on the other side for USDC would re represent something like 70 cents versus $1.30, something completely out of whack. And so Curve really came into the market via this flattened curve of the, of the Uniswap a, uh, of, the, of an AMM that really optimized for trading like-kind assets. So Curve made this assumption that you can trade, uh, you can, that you can bend the curve a little bit and uh, ha allow for much more optimized trading of uh, like-kind assets. And this has done, I think, just a phenomenal job on just literally Curve V1 is focused only on like kind, so stablecoin to stablecoin. And of course, Uniswap is very good at uh, transacting between different coins. And I think probably towards a bit later, we might get into Curve V2 pools, which is this whole kind of operation on top of it. But just even in terms of where we've come from, uh, this is like allowed Curve to attract a ton of liquidity to the tune of about $20 billion. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we definitely want to unpack Curve V2 versus Uniswap V3 because there's been some rumblings about does Uniswap V3 eat into Curve? And some people think yes, but then Curve fans really think no. But that conversation is coming at the end of the Curve Wars conversation. Well, we want to talk about the Curve Wars situation first. I know, uh, Ron, I know you have a question. What's up? Uh, I was just going to ask, like, because when, when people are hearing uh, about Curve and if they go to the Curve website, uh, in like the app itself, this is what it looks like. And Garrett, I have to ask, this is going to throw a lot of people off. Like it looks pretty basic. It looks pretty janky. Looks pretty nineties. Right? <laughs> this is like, like nineties. And, um, but, but can you tell us, I mean, we talked about the liquidity in this thing. How much volume is this user? Is this user interface? Is this, is this protocol throwing off right now? Are we talking some large numbers? Yeah, so you can scroll down to the bottom and the volume is published right there. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing about uh, on, on Curve itself, about a daily volume, often north of a billion. And in fact, during bear markets, it even tends to spike a little bit because so many people need money fast. Maybe they've printed too much like of uh, liquidity USD, which is a lending stable coin, and they need to cover their position quickly. So they jump to Curve because Curve is one of the few things that does pretty well during a uh, bear market. Gas fees might be spiking, but they'll take out as much as they can to try and cover their positions. So in fact, during the market crash of the past few days, uh, we actually saw Curve routinely exceeding a billion dollars in trading volume per day, in some wow. cases, two billion. 
are people using this interface or is it all happening kind of money <laughs> robots behind the scene aggregators that sort of thing like i so personally i do think that this super retro interface is gorgeous um, but i'm like <laughs> older than the average person i also happen to know that they're working on a new ui which is a bit more of like a windows 98 type feel oh cool um, getting an upgrade <laughs> Going from but, like uh, Windows 3.1 to 98. That's great. But I myself, like I'm a super geek. So I just tend to do most of my stuff in Brownie, which is a Pythonic um, uh, smart contract testing suite. Awesome. Very cool. So let's uh, go ahead and dive into the Curve Wars. Uh, so now that we understand what Curve is, uh, we kind of want to figure out why there is a war happening and who's fighting that war. Uh, and I think this conversation starts with the CRV token. Garrett, can you kind of take us through the unique properties of the CRV token and why it's instigated a war? Yeah, and unfortunately, the victims of the curve wars seem to be everybody's portfolio this past week. Uh, <laughs> so I'd say in a nutshell, the, uh, the big value behind the curve token is two things. Uh, there's the revenue share component, and then there's the governance aspect of it. So diving into each of these with the revenue share, uh, all the trading fees that occur when people are trading on curve, usually it's about four basis points and that's split evenly and VECRV stakers earn 50% of that. So, so if, you if you stake the curve token, the CRV token, it turns into VE, which I think stands for vested curve token. And uh, those people get 50% of those four basis points for whoever's staking, right? That's correct. It's a vote escrow CRV. Excuse me. And, and the VE CRV is very interesting in that it is um, non-transferable. You can't do anything with it other than that it's an ERC-20 token. Um, the curve itself is transferable. You can do whatever you want with it, but curve by itself does nothing. So you have to lock it to really get the benefits. Um, and then curve implemented the system where if you lock it, uh, you have to do the maximum lock of four years to be able to get the boosted rewards that were on the screen shown earlier. So that's uh, the curve DAO voted into existence, the property of allowing users to vote with their VECRV on the emissions of curve that these different pools would, would receive. So you get some fees from the basic trading activity, but then you also can get um, a, you can get a minimum of the number on, shown on the left. And if you have enough VECRV locked, you can earn the maximum boost, which is the 2.5 times that number on the right. So by locking your curve as VECRV, you can achieve this maximum boost. In some cases, double digit um, and some, and I've seen as high as triple digit APYs in terms of the uh, in terms of the value you can get from from staking in these pools. So when you say boost, um, that is yield farming, correct? And when you stake yes. your your curve for the maximum amount of time, which is four years, it means you're not getting your curve back for four years. And that's a one way decision. It's not like you can go Command Z on that. Like once you stake it, it's in there but then you are also getting the maximum amount of emissions because that is because you've locked it up for the maximum amount of, amount of time, you're getting the maximum amount of emissions as a result of that, um, uh, of that staking. And those emissions are in CRV token? They are, although it's not as good as that because the VECRV that you have also linearly decreases over time. So if you lock for four years today, the VECRV will drop to zero by four years unless you extend your lock. Well, it drops to zero, as in it is deleted? 
No, you still have your curve, but the oh. VECRV you have drops to zero. Okay. Wait, but I thought VECRV is is curve, just vested. Or voting. No, you 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 lock the curve, you receive this VECRV token. It starts at the amount of curve that you have, but it depre- it decreases linearly over okay. time until you have nothing left unless you extend your lock. Okay. Uh, and so you extend the lock of the CRV token. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. So I'm you take your that. bag of curve, you lock it, and then you have to keep locking it if you want to keep getting this maximum boost. So it really does incentivize tying up the curve, keeping a massive amount of the curve off the market. Was that the intent of the design here is to just like um, increase the value and price of curve? Or is the intent to, I guess, uh, incent governance of the protocol why the why the lockup in the design of curve <laughs> and here's where twitter did you wrong because you really should have invited on michael egorov or someone from the team that actually designed it um because i can just speculate i would assume that it is for these reasons to massively extend the amount of curve that is locked and therefore off the market uh as you know four years is a massive amount of time in DeFi. um like four years in DeFi time is what, like 80 years in real time? Oh, we, at least. We meant we invented DeFi like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but still, uh, until Convex came around, people were doing this. People were taking their curve and they were locking it for four years, which is an uh, amazing signal. So I think it's something like 80% of the curve is just completely off the market, um, which is pretty wild if you think about it. And one of the, re- perhaps the reason why this dynamic exists at all is specifically because of the emission schedule of Curve and also the boost and also the boost dynamics. But Curve has this very aggressive emission schedule where it's inflating at an insane amount. But the reason why that doesn't result in just like a complete dump of the value of the token is because everyone's locking it up for four years and then also relocking it up for four years. And then they're locking up their emissions that they get for four more years so that they can get more emissions so that they can lock those up for four more years. So what's really mind blowing about the emission schedule is it's actually a 300 year emission schedule. <laughs> so the final curve will be emitted in sometime in 2000 Real years. or something. Not DeFi years. years. Real not years. years. Okay. Wow. Um, so, uh, so the curve wars is going on for three hundred more years. It's a three hundred year war. <laughs> After that, who knows? Be. The war is yeah. done. Dig yourself in. It, you know, it could get wild. Um, no, the three hundred years is like it's it's crazy. Um, every August, though, the emissions rate decreases, mm-hmm. and in fact, uh, half the curve has already been emitted. So we're already 50% of the way through the emission schedule. It's been decreasing. And every August when it decreases, it's a fairly substantial amount. Okay, so, and just, so just to be clear, if I own Curve, I lock it as V-Curve for some length of time for being the maximum. And then I'm eligible for this boost. That means I get more uh, CRV rewards. And am I also getting a share of um, like that 50%? of the, um, the the fee on all transactions, on all trades on Curve, am I also getting that? And if so, what is that paid in? So that is paid in three Curve. Um, the Curve three pool contains DAI, Tether, and USDC. Uh, when you stake your Curve, when you stake any of those coins into the three pool, you receive a three pool LP token. And that LP token can then be redeemed for DAI, Tether, or USDC. So that's cool. That's like a nice little dividend. And plus, on top of the dividend, the cash that I'm getting, I'm also getting more 
if we translate this into the equities world, I'm getting more stock, right? I'm getting stock as a boost for, you know, locking it up. And then I'm also getting this, this dividend, which is basically a percentage of, of revenue generated by curve. That's correct. But if you really want to get the value, the maximum value out of curve, you can never actually get the value of the CRV token back. Because if the game is to corner the curve market by having as large of a CRV share as possible, you always need to be locking up CRV as long as possible. And the only value that you get is your share of the stablecoin volume fees that, that get swapped. So the, the two basis points that go to the CRV holders, right? So if you keep up on locking up curve forever and ever and ever and ever, that's how you maximize your dividends that are being paid in stablecoin fees. But you can never get the CRV back because if you start to offload your CRV, you're also offloading your rights to the point uh, to the two basis points. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say that's a fair characterization. So uh, you do have a dilemma, like the price of curve was before the crash, $6 is $3. Now, most people don't even seem to care about the price though, because if they've been locking their curve, can't right. sell it until until the next presidential election. <laughs> okay. So that's, I think, phase one of the curve wars. And things get even more complicated and even more crazy after this because I think what why there's so much excitement about convex finance is it seems to be that convex finance has started to really uh, get into cornering the curve market. Would you say that that's a, a fair classification of, of convex? Have we have we actually talked about before we get there? Have we actually talked about uh, David and Garrett like what else you can do because there's some voting aspect oh. of this, right? Hmm. So like maybe we should talk about that because yes. you're not only locking up um, curve to transform to V curve to get the boost and the staking. There's also like a governance right, as I understand it, so that you actually get to decide which of the pools receive a share of uh, future curve rewards. Is that an aspect we should talk about first before we get to your question, David, and set that up? Yeah, yeah that's worth getting into. So uh, a lot of you know, protocols have governance rights and sometimes it's not clear what those governance rights do. Uh, with curve, it has a very strong degree of decentralization and nearly every aspect of curve is managed by the uh, by VECRV holders. So most commonly, this is to periodically vote on which pools get the most rewards. Um, and we'll get into a bit more of the mechanics, especially how Convex disrupted all of that. Um, but basically, if you, like, if you see those boosts and the um, emissions on the front page that you looked at earlier, that's all voted on by the community. The, the community decides which pools it's going to reward. And oh, there we go. Uh, if you click on home, actually the DAO is also a good place to do it too. Uh, all those rewards TAPRs are what the community decided. We vote that this pool will get 10% max boost. The next one, three pool gets 1% max boost. Uh, that's just a straight up vote of VECRV holders. And so what this is doing is this is uh, directing what stablecoin pools get more rewards in emissions. And so what that's doing is that's incentivizing liquidity to come into, into curve for specific stablecoins. Uh, and so for stakeholders, for somebody like um, SUSD, if somebody was uh, incentivized to really bootstrap SUSD 
liquidity, they might want to vote with their curve tokens to uh, incentivize SUSD to come in. And so they would vote in the, using, in the DAO using their CRV tokens to put more rewards in the SUSD pool. Uh, and so how has this played out? What, uh, what uh, stablecoin pools has the DAO elected to uh, incentivize the most? And how often does that change? Or is it relatively stable over time? Uh, changes roughly weekly. Um, and you can actually have full transparency into how the DAO is voting on it. And you can therefore try and move your coins around to the pools that are going to be, uh, you know, going to next week be like getting more rewards. Or if your pool's losing rewards, you can move out of it. Uh, some protocols also choose to, um, like the SUSD that you were pointing out, also choose to issue directly rewards in their own token. Yes, the next token. So yeah. you can see. So you can see some examples of that. Um, and so, uh, the, yeah, go ahead. And so, yeah, so um, is it fairly balanced or are like, if from the, from the perspective of stablecoin operators, like how badly does like Circle, for example, really want uh, USDC liquidity or are, those, are these types of, who's really playing and why are they playing in this game? Like what are their interests in bootstrapping certain liquidity pools over others? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think one really good example would be Steph and F. Uh, are you familiar with Lido Finance and their staked, uh, staked Ethereum? Totally. So if you have 32 Ethereum, you can run a validator node yourself. If you have maybe one Ethereum and you want to get the 5% interest rates, um, you can't do that directly. But what you can do is you can go to Steph, uh, Lido Finance. You can stake your Ethereum there. And they will give you a Steph token, which is... a it relies very heavily on people believing that the Steph Ethereum peg is always one-to-one. -one. So it's very useful for them to have a lot of liquidity in this pool because they want to be able to be able to move between ETH and Steph fluidly. If there's not a lot of liquidity in the pool, then you might end up seeing a run on the Ethereum and it'll just be overbalanced with Steph. That's cool. So what's interesting here is it, it, it feels like there's uh, some value, some additional value to uh, V curve, right? So like, I guess there's, there's value because V curve uh, pays out uh, a dividend and the boost rewards of, of CRV, but there's also value in the governance vote itself because that governance vote, um, you know, as allocated as a percentage of a V curve actually uh, dishes out a lot of capital it seems like a lot of liquidity rewards here. And how much are we talking, Garrett? Like how much money are we, you know, talking um, that, that goes through this reward system? We're we talking about like millions of dollars, um, you know, more than this. Yeah, when we get into the um, further down the flywheel towards Vodium, you'll see that uh, to be able to influence this protocols are putting in roughly uh, on the order of like a million dollars cash equivalent per week. Wow. Okay. So if I'm, if I'm Lido then, and I want to create liquidity for, um, staked ETH and, ETH, yeah. uh, the ETH pair, uh, or maybe I'm rocket pool and our ETH and, you know, the ETH pair or something, then, um, how much am I willing to pay for, is this where bribing comes in? Like how, how much am I willing to pay to get liquidity on my on my pair like or do i have to buy a whole bunch of 
curve and you know stake it as v curve in order to do that or is it seems like the curve wars are about the secondary market that's popped up and created kind of a way to pay v curve holders somehow in order to sway their votes is that what's going on here yeah and when we look at the raw value of curve you know there's the trading fees which are of interest to everybody and then these votes are probably not of interest to you unless you're operating a protocol but if you are operating a protocol it can be massively important to you and it's it's fairly fairly interesting because this VECRV mechanic, as we get further and further down the flywheel, we can see where it really has advantages in being able to somewhat separate out these different um, these different needs. Because protocols all have their issues to deal with, so they often have conflicts of interest between like whales, LP holders, and figuring out what they're going to do with their own emission. So, if you look at the this voting system, uh, it does a really good job of being able to split out some of this value. And Convex was able to basically just swoop right in, figure out exactly how things worked well within this ecosystem and use it to architect their protocol to really uh, intermediate themselves in a non-parasitic way into this market. Is this where we should get into the conversation of Convex finance? I think I think it's time. Uh <laughs> Garrett, what is Convex Finance and why is it such a big deal? So uh, my colleague told me that Convex is so perfect. And he asked me, it has to have been designed by someone at Curve, right? Right, right. <laughs> and I have my doubts on this, um, but I do agree that Convex fits in perfectly. As uh, the aforementioned crypto condom sites, that Convex solved the emissions problem that Curve has in the short term but it's not parasitic. So it fits in nicely and only serves to amplify all the benefits of Curve. So essentially Convex streamlined the process of allowing protocol owners to bribe different Curve pools. And it did this by, uh, when they launched, they solved a problem for the liquidity providers on Curve, which was this need to stake your Curve for VECRV, lock it up for four years, keep extending your boost. It's really difficult to do. And it required a lot of gas. It required a lot of, kind of constant management, Convex automated it. So they said, you take your Curve LP token that you get for staking, and instead of staking it in the Curve rewards gauge, you stake it into Convex. Convex is going to manage the VECRV for you. Every Curve that Convex gets is going to lock it up for four years, and it's going to pull that all together so everyone gets just about the max boost. And then they slice off you know, 10% or so for themselves. Okay, and is it fair to say that Convex has successfully cornered Curve? Yes, Curve, Convex is about 50% of the uh, voting interest in Curve at this point. And by the definition of what Convex is and how it operates, it's never going to lose that market share. No, no. So there was probably a time when someone could have outcompeted Convex uh, that time. Who knows? Maybe something will happen in the future and it could happen uh, where someone else finds an entry to uh, compete. But Convex doesn't use this voting share for itself. It then turns that back owner over to Convex owners to be able to bribe the curve pools that they want through the Vodium protocol. Okay. Okay. So okay, is, it, is it now, <laughs> instead of the curve wars, is it now the Convex wars? Like, did we just pass the wars down the line to the winner? 
I still think they're all kind of part of the larger global conflict. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a new front in the curve wars, perhaps. <laughs> so Convex hasn't just won the war and the war's over. There's going to be like, it's just won the battle, I suppose. And the war. Convex is, is now the battleground. Convex is now the battleground. Okay. All right. So, so Convex basically just automated the bribing process that was already going on, on curve, right? They just automated all of that. And now they, they dominate it. What, what's in it for Convex? What does Convex gain out of it? And, um, I guess it's not parasitic, right? Is this a symbiotic relationship of some sort? Like why does, why does curve, does curve benefit from this or is, uh, Convex the, you know, the organism that's, that's chiefly benefiting from this relationship. So they do appear to be in symbiosis in which both seem to benefit. And this is where this concept of this flywheel came in and that these are sort of intricate machines moving together and they just tend to throw both throw off a ton of cash to whoever happens to be standing nearby them. And so I, I, I'm actually really fascinated by this because uh, at one point in time, I, I wrote this article, I can't remember what it's called, but it, it used Conway's Game of Life to describe some DeFi apps about, uh, Garrett, are you familiar with uh, Conway's Game of Life? I am, yeah. Yeah, uh, listeners should look it up. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically it's just these very programmatic rules that if you design them correctly, they take on these life forms that perpetuate off into infinity. And so, like, there's been a lot of, like, DeFi innovations these days that kind of just feel like uh, obfuscated Ponzi games. But that's not what this feels like. This actually feels, like, oddly sustainable. Yeah, here's here's Conway's Game of Life. Um, this, uh, and so, like, you make these different shapes. They, they react to each other. Yeah, like, they, there's a fantastic animation. There's these self-perpetuating little organisms that, with, you know, some inputs create infinite outputs and just exist. Uh, and it seems to be that uh, convex and, and curve are the right constructions combined with the right issuance to just be kind of filling the original ethos of what DeFi was supposed to be, which is these long-term, self-perpetuating, fully decentralized applications that really return value towards the LPs and the governors. Like, is... This seems like an elegant model. Like, would you agree with that description? Yeah, the and this is why Convex really made a splash when it first hit because the Curve community is full of a lot of very smart people. Because of course you have to be smart if you're going to understand all these complexities of Curve in the first place. Um, and when you look at the way each element of Convex is architected, it sort of filled in some of these gaps from the user interface perspective. So like the hassle of having to lock your curve is kind of gone. If you want a liquidity provide, it's just so easy to dump it in Convex. You don't have to wait four years. You can get your uh, money back. Uh, Convex introduced a wrapped form of curve called Convex Curve. You can always take your curve, give it to Convex and get a token back. The uh, convex curve token can be staked into convex to earn convex, curve, and three curve. So you get the dollars and trading fees that you would get from staking curve. You also get um, uh, curve back from that, and you also get convex back from that. And, and convex takes that, of course. They then use that to increase their overall stash of VECRV, thus increasing their voting rights. And this 
is actually able to maintain its peg in the same way that Steph does by having a curve factory pool between curve and convex curve launched. So if you ever want to take your convex curve and trade it back to curve, you can do that anytime as long as the convex curve curve factory pool maintains its peg. It's kind of funny. We 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 started uh, part of this looking at the the curve interface uh, and how rudimentary it is. But it, it strikes me that's that's almost like the like the firmware level of this yeah. protocol, right? It's like you don't really have to. I mean, th that can be um, abstracted through things like convex, and that's maybe more the user interface that that people are actually using practically. But one thing I'm I'm hung up on here still, Garrett, is like mm -hmm. um, this idea of bribing. Like bribing doesn't have a, a positive connotation. Does it right? So like, okay, like you're bribe. Let, let let let's say this was a a corporation and there was some you know voting uh, shares in the corporation, and you were actually um, bribing shareholders to say um, you know say it's Apple to give you a, a contract. Like um, we are part of the that supply chain that wants to make iPhones, and so rather than you know compete and win fairly at that game i'm going to just call up a whole bunch of apple shareholders i'm going to bribe them in order to vote to assign my supply chain company uh the the apple contract um that doesn't seem ethical right <laughs> i mean like bri bribes are bad aren't they uh or uh talk about this a little bit are bribes bad in this system or is this some sort of transparent bribe that is like actually okay yeah is it part of the game or is bribe even the the correct word here with all of the negative connotation yeah. so if i said that a protocol was using its own native token to incentivize liquidity would that sound bad no no i would also it doesn't call have it the same bribe. ring <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it as bribery and you know bribery is effective it works we all know what it means i think it's used a bit tongue-in-cheek but um sure. like what's the ethical issue that you would see with the way that this is happening i'm not sure it's mm. actually just the the term bribe that i'm not comfortable with I, I let me ask you are there ethical issues are there corruption issues are there issues of some um, nefarious token trying to get liquidity that doesn't deserve it and like buying its way into that liquidity or like is that is that a bad thing are there any you know hazards moral hazards that that come about as a result of this that's a good question i am struggling to think of it but i am not uh among my many accomplishments i'm by no means an ethicist so <laughs> so there's this website that has been uh, spun up uh vodium that i think has formally instantiated bribery uh in the curve ecosystem uh and so i kind of want to uh ryan if you, if you could uh there we go uh so okay, this is kind of the end game i think of the curve wars this is kind of where things have landed um, what, what are people doing here? Just take us, take us through what are people doing when they are bribing here and why are they doing that? We might've yeah, already so, covered this. <laughs> no, it, this is, you're absolutely right. This is, this is where the activity all flows onto. So if you take a, your convex tokens and you lock your convex tokens, it's only a 16 week lock. So it's not quite as severe as that four year curve lock. And then on uh, this site, Vodium, you could use that vote locked convex to vote for which pools are going to receive rewards. Uh, and then also, if you're a protocol, you can directly issue a bribe here on this site so that people can go in and um, people can go in and vote for the protocol that they think is best. Now, all the bribes are shared by everyone who votes for it. 
So if uh, someone goes in and places a $1 million bribe and you're the only person that votes for it, then you would get that entire million dollars for yourself. Uh, so as a result, it tends to equalize out a little bit between the pools. And if you'd like to see, um, if you'd like to see some stats on this, I would suggest going to the Llama uh, Air Force site. That's llama.airforce. Llama, like the little animal. Right. Of course, Llama Air Force. Two L's. Two L's. Two L's. Two L's. Llama, Llama Ryan. Not the Dalai Lama. I should have been more explicit. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the Lama Air Force is alphabetically Alunara, uh, Benny, and Fiddy, who are incredible, uh, incredibly active and geniuses in terms of programming. If you click on the Vodium tab up there, they have all sorts of stats for curve convex. And um, you can see all the results of all the bribery rounds, if you want to call it that. Uh, we're currently on round number 10. And as you can see, Frax has deposited nearly $6 million worth of bribes. And this is going to get distributed amongst everyone who votes for Frax. If you go and click on that dropdown, you can see the results of some of the previous weeks. Because this one, oh, actually this one is uh, concluded already too. Uh, you can see the dollars per vote locked CVX means uh, the amount of dollars you take home at the end of the day for uh, if you voted for that. And you can see that they tend to equalize out between all the different pools. So because Frax bribed the most, they got the most votes. And this is the mechanism by which it evened out. Uh, Again, before the bear market crash, this is approaching nearly a dollar per vote lock convex. That's incredible. Okay, so uh, maybe we could talk about that for a minute. But it's like, again, we're using the term bribe, but really what these protocols are doing, like what Frax is doing is it's just paying for liquidity, isn't it? Just the way it That's would correct. Yeah. buy liquidity from, you know, Tokamak or, uh, you know, some other service. That's correct. And if you don't want to bribe people, you could buy a large stake in Convex yourself and you could use that Convex uh, or you could buy a large share of Curve. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can go ahead and, and vote. Or, or sorry, there's a lot of ways that you can influence the Curve emissions. Uh, the Vodium angle is just one of many. So this is the end state of the Curve Wars. Uh, I don't think it goes any further than this, unless there's some sort of bribes for bribes, but that seems like one <laughs> fractal too far. It might be. I mean, maybe someone's going to come up with some sort of lending protocol based on something within this. Uh, the ingenuity in this space is what keeps me glued to my screen 24-7. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, Garrett, there's a, a number of questions that, that I have for you. Um, there's like, I want to know who's playing the game because there's a lot of whales that are playing the, the, the Curve Wars game. And I just kind of want to know who's kind of, who's won, who's won the most. And, and I also want to get into the topics of uh, Curve versus Uniswap because there's always the conversation of like, oh, well, w will Uniswap V3 just like end this? So we're going to get to all of those questions just after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Alchemix is a DeFi app that offers self-repaying loans that lets you spend money and save money at the same time. Alchemix allows you to deposit the DAI stablecoin into its vaults, which earns some of the highest yields that DeFi has to offer. You can then take a loan from Alchemix of up to 50% of the deposited DAI, and that loan automatically pays itself back from the yield that is generated from your deposit. It's a savings account that the banks don't want you to know about. Alchemix also has ETH vaults available, so you, you can get a self-repaying loan that's denominated in ETH. Coming up in Alchemix V2 is a bunch of cool new features such as credit delegation, multi-chain expansion, and DAO revenue sharing and vote boosting. Alchemix lets you get your interest payments on your deposits paid to you upfront. 
check out the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi and make sure to join their extremely vibrant Discord if you want to participate in governance or have any questions about the project. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet, the Ledger Live app, and soon the CL Crypto Life card powered by Ledger. The CL card powered by Ledger is a crypto debit card with powerful features like an instant exchange to fiat, where crypto assets are only sold at the moment that you swipe your card, and also credit from crypto collateral where you can collateralize your crypto assets in order to get a higher credit limit. You'll be able to manage your CL card powered by Ledger inside the Ledger Live app, right next to all the DeFi apps and services that you're already used to using, making the Ledger Live app your one-stop shop for all of your financial needs. Go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, and download Ledger Live to get all of your DeFi applications all in one place. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need L2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest and cheapest and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about the long wait times or high fees to get your assets back to the Layer 1. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens from Layer 2 back to Ethereum. Across is critical ecosystem infrastructure and ownership is being handed over to the community. You can be a part of this story of Across by joining the Discord and becoming a co-founder and helping to design the fair fair launch of Across. If you want to bridge your assets quickly and securely, Go to across.to to bridge your assets between ETH, Optimism, Arbitrum, or Boba Networks. And we are back with Garrett Hall talking all about the Curve Wars, which seems to have evolved into its logical conclusion. And so, Garrett, I want to ask about the Curve community, because this is such a vibrant ecosystem of just like data and, you know, tokens and shenanigans that is, of course, is attracted just a bunch of people around it. So how, how would you characterize the Curve community? Like, who are the types of people that are really interested in the Curve Wars? Yeah, so there's a number of ways to answer this because there's the protocols. Obviously, we talked about their role in the curve wars. They want to get their pools big. They want to maximize emissions, get a ton of liquidity. Um, on the other side of this is just um, all the people who are kind of downstream of this and receiving some of the cash that get thrown off in this uh, protocol. Like, let's be honest, there's one thing that unites pretty much everybody in cryptocurrency, and that's greed. We're all extremely greedy. Uh, Curve has been making people, uh, not only making people wealthy, but they don't rug them in the process. So anytime you see a site that's saying, you know, 5 million percent APY, of course, users throw money in, they lose all their money, uh, and then the, uh, they complain. Curve has been consistently delivering. Curve has been around for two years, an incredible security track record. So people feel really safe and comfortable putting their money into Curve and by extension, Convex, Vodium. Uh, the people in the community, uh, because you have to really be able to understand this, you get a lot of really smart people. So I tend to hang out mostly in like the dev channels. Mm -hmm. So I end up talking a lot with developers that are building really cool stuff on top of this. Um, and I think that the kind of composability of all these uh, various assets that Curve is creating is just really bringing out some of the best ingenuity and innovation within all of DeFi. I think one of the biggest things I've taken away from this conversation is that Curve has really won 
the game of decentralization. It seems like this game that's being played has created a long-term stable equilibrium of decentralization because we're talking about like the winner of the curve war is another protocol. And that protocol is uh, only giving out its, its spoils to bribes then those are being bribed by other protocols. So make, when you peel back the layers are on this thing, like is there Tetranode under the hood just like winning at this game? <laughs> or like are there humans play, like winning at the Curve Wars? Or is it actually like a successful case of decentralization? So I think it's a, I, I happen to know the Curve Core team puts a lot of emphasis into decentralizing. So amongst other things, like the site is hosted on Fleek, uh, that can't be, or not through via IPFS, so it can't be taken down. Um, the uh, There was an issue a few weeks ago that got a lot of attention uh, where there was a protocol that was trying, uh, called Mochi, that was trying to basically like backdoor its way into cornering convex. And it was shut down by something called the um, Curve Emergency uh, DAO. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the Curve Emergency DAO is none of the core team. It's nine other completely different protocol. Uh, so, some are protocols and some are just very active community members that have like the sort of master key ability to shut down, uh, shut down things in case of issue. So Curve has no capability of doing that. They completely decentralized that. If a um, asteroid wiped out all of uh, all of the um, very tragically wiped out all of the Curve core devs, the protocol would live on. Amazing. I I feel like that's just like sadly extremely unique in DeFi. I can't name another protocol that has this property. Nor can I, but I'm just an expert on Curve. Okay, fair, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Um, Right, What's cool about this too is like um, all of this stuff happens on chain. Like it's so transparent, even even from the the emission schedule. Being able to forecast, you know, three hundred years in the future of what the the curve token supply is going to be. The fact that all of these, the, like the bribes are on chain, like everything is completely open and transparent and on chain. I, I do feel like that is very much the the ethos of uh, DeFi. Um, I, I'm curious. One thing when we were talking before. Uh, the sponsor break, Garrett, about like the the value of a curve vote, and it was like eighty seven cents or something, according to the llama, the Air Force llama here, um, eighty seven cents per vote. And I I've read some things, uh, like the little I've read about this um, lately about convex itself and the and the value of convex. And there seems to be some idea within the community. And of course, you know, Bankless never provides financial advice. None of this is financial advice. But uh, I've read a lot about um, like the valuation of, of convex. Uh, you can value it very much like a, a stock, a stock that is throwing off dividends. And when you look at the value of a um, curve vote, it looks like the convex token itself is tremendously undervalued. Do you have any insights on that? Or like, what is the community saying about convex uh, and its relative valuation? Um, I think the the thing that like when I mentioned the kind of the core ingredients of the curve token is there's the governance and then there's the cash flow. But there's sort of an implicit third, uh, which sort of every protocol or every kind of has, which is this sort of multiplier effect, which is factoring in hypothetically things that might come in the future. And like uh, by way of example on this convex, it, if you want to just value it based on this Vodium, uh, the flywheel, the cash it's currently throwing off, you would have missed, for example, that convex recently 
is not just going to be doing this uh, convex magic, uh, sprinkling this magic pixie dust on curve. Uh, they're also expanding to Frax. So Frax has a VEFXS vote escrowed uh, Frax share that they announced. They're basically moving their entire tokenomics to the VECRV model. And Convex announced that they're going to pull them in their fold. So this is all of a sudden a second major massive protocol in DeFi that's going to be getting Convex. How many protocols have you seen lately adopting this VE tokenomics model? What percent of those might end up under the Convex, uh, under this Convex umbrella? Like, what is the, the VE token model itself? Because that does seem to be something that uh, a lot of protocols are, you know, uh, switching to, are considering, or taking a look at. Is that just basically locking up, um, locking up your tokens in the way that that Curve has in sort of this, um, yeah, this, this this staking type arrangement where you are able to receive token rewards and uh, potentially dividends. So I don't think that this is just a copycat or a hype thing. Um, and it's actually funny because at the beginning, this VE tokenomics was mocked mercilessly, but now it's kind of getting the last laugh here. Why were people um, mocking it? Uh, the four-year lock is too much. Uh, you know, the, the It's too complicated. It's too confusing. No one's going to use it. Um, but nowadays, we're seeing protocols uh, not just really copying it, but tailoring it to their own needs because protocols all have their own issues to deal with. And they might need a slightly different implementation of it. So if you look at the way that some of these different protocols are moving to adopt the VE tokenomics, uh, they, they, they are kind of moving in this way that would be compatible because once you have a VE token that controls governance rights, you can get it in the convex ecosystem. Um, but it's not always the case that, um, that it's good for everyone to adopt a VE tokenomics. Like, I think that if you have a cash flow, for example, uh, where you're able to return fees to users in a substantial amount, I think it might work. If you don't have that, I'm not sure if the VE tokenomics is something that your protocols should necessarily adopt. Yeah, I want to open up the worm uh, can of worms, which is Uniswap V3 versus Curve, uh, because Curve really, this whole entire game and the whole entire valuation of the CRV token and also the convex token is all dependent on uh, stablecoin volume. And if stablecoin volume decided for some reason to migrate away from Curve, uh, then that would be bad for uh, a cascade of all the relevant tokens that extract value from the trading fees going through Curve. Uh, and so in a world where Uniswap V3 actually becomes more efficient for stablecoins, that would be really bad news for Curve. Do you think... There's a future version of the world where Uniswap V3 eats Curve's lunch? Well, I don't necessarily think that because uh, I really think that the past few years Curve got to this level of dominance through the stablecoin swaps, but it's the Curve V2 pools that are, I think, going to be upending things. We haven't gotten a chance to talk much about the Curve V2, but it really is a seismic innovation. So uh, essentially, a curve, the Curve V2 pools allow for uh, are pools that contain volatilely priced assets. The first such pool that was released was essentially a pool that had US Tether, WBTC, and WETH. The pool is able to rebalance itself without the aid of an external oracle. So just by understanding internally the trading volume that's happening within the pool, it's able to determine what it believes the current price of Bitcoin and Ethereum actually is. And it's able to rebalance itself towards that taking profit along the way. 
And what we've seen, uh, this poll was launched in the summer of last year. Um, this past few weeks was obviously some major bear activity. A lot of AMMs were unable to really accommodate the kind of massively fluctuating change in price. TriCrypto2 was rebalancing itself in near real time and was one of the only sources of available liquidity if you needed to move uh, real at the, at, you know, in the absolute swing of things between Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example. Wow, wow. Okay, so one of the big drawbacks about Uniswap V3 was that you, you can provide liquidity in a concentrated form, which is one of the perks. But then if the uh, if the Uniswap markets for that particular trading pair moved outside of that concentration, so if, you know here's a concentration and then it moves outside of it, then all of a sudden all the liquidity is gone. And people would have to withdraw their liquidity and then redeposit it based on new parameters. And you're telling me that Curve V2 does the same sort of phenomenon, but in an automated auto rebalancing fashion. Yes. Wow. And you can also, the, the, <laughs> the other thing about Uniswap V3 is it's, it's very much um, rewards more active liquidity providers, right? Like you always have to be playing the game. Uh, playing the game. You have to monitor it. Proactive you also have to have mind. opinions as to the future of the price as well. Totally. It's, you be it's it. opinionated liquidity. Yeah. But yeah. but with these V2 pools for something like this Tri Crypto 2, which is you know Tether, Bitcoin, and ETH, that's pretty passive. I would yes. I, I would suppose like you don't have so, to play the active liquidity um, provider sort of role as you do in Uniswap. Right. So I'm a poor person and I can't afford to kind of constantly be rebalancing my position, uh, but I can put some money into Tri Crypto. And the only slight drawback to it is that there is imper uh, impermanent loss because, of course, if the prices change, the balances change, and you might be withdrawing a different amount. Um, but then the upside is uh, the upside is that you well, first of all, a lot of these pools are getting the curve rewards on top of it. Um, you can somewhat time your trades on that. So for example, now would be a really good time to put dollars into the tri-crypto pool because then if the price of Ethereum and Bitcoin go up, then you'll be able to pull out in theory more Ethereum and more Bitcoin. And it's not like Uniswap V3 would have protected you against impermanent loss either, right? No, no. That's that, that's something that if someone solves that, you know, right. I'd like to I'd like to see how. Right. Uh, so is Curve V2 going to eat Uniswap V3's lunch? <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I can't comment on Uniswap necessarily. I, love, I know a lot of people are trying to push this battle between Curve and Uniswap, and I think it's a little bit forced um, because, for example, like it's been this battle uh, has been kind of pushed there for a long time. Uh, but the more AMMs that we have out there, isn't that the best for DeFi? Absolutely. I think people just like watching the the money Drama. robots beat each other up a little bit. <laughs> it's you like know, battle bots. It's kind of entertaining. Yeah, a little battle bot <laughs> session here and there. It's kind I of mean, fun. Curve V2 have an internal accurate price oracle on chain. Is Curve going to eat Chainlink? No, probably not. Right. I guess and we would never difference. say that, by the way, frogs, any frogs that are listening, any green <laughs> don't, frogs. Don't come cancel us. I'm tired of you guys. Um, well, I guess that is the main difference between Uniswap V3 and Curve V2 is that Curve V2 depends on an Oracle and Uniswap V3 doesn't. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Trade-offs. I'm uh, sorry. You no, said no, Uniswap cur depends. Curve, curve V2 does not, depend, does on not depend on an Oracle, David. There's oh. no Oracle. No Oracle. Crazy. That's what's cool. Well, I was I was curious about these V2 pools. What other sorts of things could you put in them? Like uh, we're putting Tether, Bitcoin, and ETH in one, but um, it probably doesn't work 
with like is it still kind of like kind sort of assets or can you no, throw anything you can, in these pools you can put anything in it so just last week curve launched the v2 factory and anybody can go on that and launch their own pool between any two tokens that they like uh, so far, about a uh, half dozen of these pools have been launched. So we've seen a lot of pools with ETH and some other DeFi asset. Uh, Badger, which as you saw is a big player in the uh, Convex Wars, is uh, created a Badger Bitcoin pool. And then there's been a few dollar pools uh, created, like dollar plus some other asset. That's cool. Garrett. It's going to open up a lot of routing options because this means that with the more pools of these that get launched, the more that you can move high volume, low slippage between any assets in DeFi. Garrett, let me guess, if I open up the Curve V2 white paper, it's just an insane amount of crazy math. It's math. This one is like above university level math. It's really complicated. Wow. <laughs> I'll be looking at that right after this podcast, David. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, some light night reading. <laughs> The well, easiest part to understand is that it uses an exponential moving average to keep track of the Oracle price. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm also curious, I don't know if you have a perspective on, on this, Garrett, but while we have you and you, you're thinking about Curve a lot, um, what is it like migrating from Ethereum main chain? I've noticed Curve being deployed on like you know, Polygon. I'm not sure if it's on uh, Sublayer 2s right now, like Arbitrum. I believe that maybe happened recently. I can't keep up with it. But... Um, does that break the liquidity of Curve, or how do you see it evolving beyond just Ethereum mainnet onto some of these layer twos and other chains? Yeah, so Curve is currently on eight different chains, and this is just um, just you know as a quick aside, that's so good for like the people who aren't whales because the ability to kind of get access to this flywheel tokenomics outside of Ethereum is really helpful for a lot of people. And there's actually a few other ways that um, people who aren't whales can, even on Ethereum main chain, uh, still participate. Uh, but on the subject of the side chains, I, Curve has done a really good job of trying to you know, keep its architecture uh, easily launchable on any EVM compatible chain. And that's allowed it to kind of move very quickly between it. Uh, a lot of the bribes can be done towards uh, pools on other chains. And some of the mechanics are not yet fully built out, but are being built out as we speak to kind of allow for kind of more and more cross-chain compatibility. Garrett, this has been, I think, one of the most interesting and, and educational uh, state of the nations that we have ever done. So thank you for coming on and explaining the Curve Wars to us in such a digestible way. There's two last things I, I think we need to get in th uh, through on this episode, and uh, both of them have to deal with you. And one is uh, your PAC, your uh, PAC.xyz. Can you, for our listeners, explain what PAC.xyz is? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, it's, while we're on the subject of Uniswap, I think is actually like a kind of real timely thing to talk about. Because could you imagine if Uniswap wasn't headquartered in the United States, if it was headquartered in another country, they'd be throwing the founder a parade. And instead, the United States, they're unbanking him or making him bankless. Like, it's just insane what's been going on. <laughs> bankless, in bad not way. in a good way. Yeah, for, yeah for the bad bankless. kind of bankless. This is literally, for people who aren't following, uh, this is literally, I think this happened a week ago. Like, uh, yeah. they, they canceled the, uh, Hayden Adams, the founder of Uniswap. They booted him from his from his J.P. Morgan say the, Chase. Say the names, yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase canceled Hayden Jamie Adams. Uh, Jamie Diamond canceled Hayden Adams' bank account. Any other names? <laughs> I'm cutting up my Chase card right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
just this whole thing is madness. One of the things that got me into stable coins in the first place is I said, oh, this is probably a fairly safe place to be because stable coins, um, if like it's, uh, I've heard it described as like an IQ test for the national government. <laughs> a rational government would be embracing this. We have a, a huge lead. Every DeFi denom- uh, asset is denominated in dollars and instead we're attacking it. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> no, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. So, so tell us about PAC. How, how are yeah, you solving so, <laughs> so I've been so frustrated with what's going on at Washington, D.C. that I just sort of floated this idea of could we get some on-chain cryptocurrency advocacy going? Because the crypto community is wealthy and you can buy house races for less than people are buying JPEGs for. Wait, brands? Is that where we're well, back to bribes again? <laughs> well, thankfully, thankfully, the PAC community has a ton of lawyers and figured out how to make my wild ambitions like pass the legal test. Okay. <laughs> and um, they've come across a number of mechanisms uh, that we can use to be able to affect change within Congress. And one of the most important things that we've launched already is this on-chain congressional scorecard. So we are allowing anybody with a wallet to come in and vote for whoever they think is the best or the worst. And yeah, no surprise, Elizabeth Warren is a <laughs> negative 4.91 out of five. Oh, wow. She's um, ahead of Brad Sherman at this point. That's, that's pretty, pretty bad. That's impressive. It's a very close race. But um, the flip side of it is if you sort the other way, you can see that there actually is a lot of people that are doing a lot well, to uh, help out cryptocurrency. Tom Emmer at the top. He's coming on the podcast, by the way. Show the podcast. When's he coming on, David? Uh, End of February? Uh, sometime in February, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, this is, um, this is great because I think that as a community, we can actually affect some change in Washington because there's only two things that move politicians. One is votes and the other is money. And cryptocurrency is getting there in terms of votes, but we certainly have the money. So if, there's a, if we are not getting our message out to Congress then that's our fault. Um, but we're starting to get the uh, starting to get the raw mechanics there. So this is one of the many initiatives that we're working on with uh, PacDAO. Uh, we're working on wherever we can apply on-chain crypto activism and use this to, uh, to best influence Congress. Well said. So Garrett, can, how can people get involved in this? If I'm a regular you know, kind of crypto user, can I just connect my uh, wallet and vote for some of these representatives? Is that one way yes. to get involved? What are the others? Yes, you can. Uh, join our Discord. Our Discord's very active. We have community calls every Friday. Uh, we talk about the initiatives that we're currently working on. So uh, I can't quite get into all the initiatives just because we it's already uh, getting close to our uh, close time here. Another uh, podcast. I'd be happy to come back or we can get someone else from the community to talk about it because um, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done. We need to need to need to recruit primary challengers for all the people who are the most hostile towards cryptocurrency. Because we'll, we'll take a look at them again. This is the wall of shame right here. <laughs> wall of losers. Uh, one more. So Elizabeth Warren leaves up for vote this year, but Brad Sherman actually has an incredible competitor in Erica Rhodes. I think she's going to pull it off. We think um, so. We had her on the podcast. Big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to it. It was a really, really good. Um, Sherrod Brown, of course, was chairing the stablecoin um, committee. Uh, he's not up for a little bit, but uh, Stephen Lynch is a representative. Reps are up every two years, so we could get we could get pro cryptocurrency challenges for all these people. The primary race is what matters. Once they get through the primary, they don't feel the heat. Mm-hmm. And the primaries are coming up now. All so, right. so so glad join you the did Discord. This. Join the Discord. Uh, 
go ahead and connect uh, on the site and vote and uh, follow PacDAO on Twitter. And we will get all of those links into the show notes for the listeners if they're not already there. Garrett, thank you so much for coming and just giving us so much education again with Curve and also for fighting the fight in Washington because it's, it's such an important fight. Um, well, I'm in the I'm in the wrong Washington for the fight, but yeah, true, fair, fair enough. Um, uh, Garrett, if people want to learn more about you, would follow your Substack and just see what you're up to. Where can they go? It's curve.substack.com or follow on Twitter curvecap. Lovely. There you go. Thanks, Garrett. This has been fantastic. Bankless listeners, hope you enjoyed the uh, 300 year curve war. <laughs> may already be over. Convex may have already won. We're not so sure, but uh, it, it's really cool to see how this plays out. And I, I bet it will be full of surprises in the months and years to come. Of course, risks and disclaimers. None of this has been financial advice, not at all. ETH is risky, Curve is risky. DeFi is super risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.